This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and those who love to stir the pot. Hey, I'm Java Chapman here with Carol Palmer and the one and only chef Enrica Williams. And today we will be your guides through Mississippi's vast and wonderful food landscape. But in fact, we're going to be taking a trip to North Carolina today. The topic of barbecue is vast and wide and can cover a lot of ground. But the story of barbecue is not complete without including the story of North Carolina pitmaster Ed Mitchell. So today on the show, we welcome his son, Ryan Mitchell, co-author of the new cookbook, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. We're going to talk about whole hog Eastern North Carolina barbecue today, y'all. So buckle up. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Malcolm White this morning, along with two of my great friends, Carol Palmer and Enrica Williams. I'm out of breath because I'm doing a lot this morning. <laughs> yeah, you got you got it going, Java. <laughs> we have a special guest coming up in uh in in a little bit, and we're trying to get everything together so everybody can see everybody. It's live Monday morning radio. First question: How was your weekend, ladies? Well, my weekend was fine, but I'm gonna throw it over to Enrica. You know how Enrica and I think about Monday mornings when Malcolm is not here because we. We get to be together, and it's when the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> so what are you thinking, Enrique? Um, so what I'm thinking is my my weekend was really relaxing. Um, my mom uh, cooked this Italian spread for my brother, my sister-in-law, and my nephew-in-law, as I like to call him. Um, their birthdays are when it's, it's, they're in September, and they were all last week. So she made all this food, so I ate too much lasagna. She made this um, this white bean soup with uh, chorizo Ooh. and arugula. And so I just ate too much food, and I laughed and just... I went roller skating. <laughs> I went around twice. That is not a relaxing weekend. It was, it was, it was, you know, because in my mind, I'm like this roller derby queen. But in reality, I haven't been skating since I was probably like 16. Mm-hmm. And so it was just fun being in that space. So it was very relaxing. Um, and, and I ate too much, as always. So. Well, I was in an Italian mode myself. Mm. I happen to just in my emails on Friday, I get the New York Times mm-hmm. cooking recipe mm-hmm. of the day, and it was chicken parmesan. My mama made chicken parmesan. Really? She did. She was up at like four it's o'clock a in Vulcan the morning. Mind it's melt. something. Yeah, it's, it's something. Because <laughs> she was up like pounding chicken breasts, and and she has the panko and I, fresh that mozzarella. Was it. She used the same recipe. Maybe so because she had with it, the panko. Yes. I was like, Mama, it's it's six AM. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just 
making some just food. in here just pounding just, a few. yes and then she put it on the on this pan and then she made the soup and the lasagna she makes a lasagna sauce from scratch oh yeah and it's like ours it's simmering and she's like taste this and i was like okay and so it was just sitting and and watching my mother create this entire meal from scratch like i was vicariously still well i'm like I just, you know Enjoying yeah, that's the what food. we're t- talking about. The people that we, you know, that that we've learned from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mine was my grandmother, but she did not make chicken parmesan, and it was <laughs> so much fun. I was kneading an outlet and pounding, mm-hmm. pounding chicken breast was, yeah, it was very rewarding. I think that's what it was because everything was delicious. Like I mean, it was just the the attention to detail. Yeah, oh, that's nice. So I'm are you showing, saying, Carol, I'm showing that Enrica a, a picture a picture yeah. of my creation. But Java, you have to take the chicken. I use both chicken breasts and chicken thighs and put them like between mm-hmm. either wax paper, saran wrap, parchment paper, and you just. Beat the devil out of them. But that's, what I was, them. that's what I was going to say. I don't know what how your week was where you needed this kind of this release. We're not going to talk about it. You need this release to uh, pound out your chicken breast. <laughs> oh, man. Well, what about your weekend, Java? Well, my weekend was uh, a little relaxed, um, which is something that I don't often get a chance to say. So I'll embrace the um, at-homeness, um, the being at the park with my kids. Mm. If you have not been to uh, LaFleur's Bluff State Park and mm. the brand new, well, it's not brand new, but the new um, uh, playground equipment over there, it's always a good time on a Saturday. It, you know, it's not 100,000 degrees outside, so we were able to get out and enjoy and on uh sunday we went away from the italian and just paid a visit to our favorite hibachi spot mm-hmm. over in yeah Clinton. you, you mm-hmm. love um hibachi it's your a, kids your kids are really like the show yeah it's one of those it's one of those things where you know um my kids are not going to put up a fight so if we say let's go hibachi, everybody's like let's go hibachi, <laughs> <laughs> and you know in in uh, comparison to other things where we may have to do some coercion and you know you can get this if you eat that type of uh, <laughs> type of afternoon. Well, th- this is not a food. Th- well, it's kind of a food thing, but um, Enrica and I have some good friends coming in. This week, Bill mm-hmm. Ferris and his wife, Marcy Ferris. You got Bill is an American cultural icon. His yes, yes, uh, yes. photographs. Yeah, his yeah photographs and studying mm-hmm. you know the culture of the Deep South. Mm-hmm. He was the founder of the Center for the Study of Southern Culture, and somewhere along the way, he married um, Marcy, mm-hmm. who. Is, Matzah Ball Gumbo. Is, 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 <laughs> she wrote the book Matzah Ball Gumbo, uh-huh. and she has really uh, parlayed her Jewish heritage mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just introducing every everybody to the Jewish foodways of the Deep South. Mm-hmm. And they are both now uh, in, in, at Chapel Hill. You know, Marcy is or was, she may have just retired the head of a culinary program mm-hmm. there in Bill of course, has a, a chair at the University yes. of North Carolina. But they're going to be here 
doing uh, Voices mm-hmm. of Mississippi, which was Bill's Grammy-winning book mm-hmm. and which was about audio a couple years ago it was won a Grammy for. Yeah. but uh it's it's a fundraiser for the mississippi center for social justice and it's going to be at saint andrew's school yep. and uh bobby rush uh-huh. the north mississippi mm-hmm. all-stars and oh, this then, is a star-studded oh, yeah and then oh, yeah. uh charday thomas who is the granddaughter of the great Othar turner the african reed flute player from the hills of North Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw her when she was a little girl following her granddaddy around, mm-hmm. but there's going to be music and um, culture, yeah. and I bet they're gonna, there's going to be some food talked about. What I do you think thinking, so. Rika? I think so. I'm actually going, so I'm excited to, um, to attend. I think it's going to be a definite music and food and spirit and all sorts and of this things. has been done in Washington and New York, mm. but this performance is being done. And if anybody's interested, uh, well, I know so many people will be interested to go to, to Ticketmaster mm-hmm. to get the tickets. But a shout out to the Ferrises. Absolutely. They have done wonders for our culture. Absolutely. Yeah, we've had um, Marcy on the show before yeah. um, talking about the matzo ball gumbo and Bill Ferris. He was actually, I believe, on. Um, either now you're talking with Marshall or Next Stop Mississippi um, after that Grammy win. That's why I remember it was a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, ladies, it is um, a couple days until the beginning of the actual fall, but it's September, Ooh. if you can believe it. Yeah, the year 2000, <laughs> 2023 <laughs> has come around. October, um, the fair, the, the the cool weather that the fair brings in mm-hmm. is also around the corner. I mean, kids are back in school. Football season is here. Uh, Monday Night Football is tonight. Um, but, um, you know, before you know it, we'll be looking up and the holidays will be here. Yes. Oh, it's, good it's, it's not even anything to play with but not to not to go straight to christmas i had a question for you about your own personal kitchens mm. if you is this a trick question no it's not really a trick <laughs> question because i have the answer to my question to the question but i just wanted to know what is going on in your minds or what's going on in your kitchen or not because it is what appliance is missing from your kitchen counter like what appliance i know mine is our air fryer our air fryer is down for the count, and we're going to have to get a new one really soon because it is a magical piece of equipment it to have is. in the kitchen, especially when you got kids and you need something quick, quick. to mm-hmm. cook and stuff like that. So the air fryer is what's missing from my kitchen counter or just my kitchen. So, Enrica, Carol, what's what's missing from yours? Is it a rice cooker? Is it a, um, I don't know, a, a new cast iron skillet? What's 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 missing from your kitchen? I need a food processor. So again, I know my mom is probably listening. It's like, why are you your, hand, your hands her, don't work? I'm telling all her business. <laughs> she has this food processor, right? And she has the old school one where when you turn it, it had like this little thing to make sure everything was aligned and if and to make sure the the part goes down so you can blend. Mm-hmm. Yep. So hers is, hers is so old that the part broke off. So <laughs> she takes it by hand and she puts it on. So it can work. And she still uses this to chop up. And she only chops like three things in this food processor. And so I was like, Mama, you know, we need a new <laughs> chopper. We need to get one. Because I cook a lot at my mom's house. And But she's like, no, because I had one. And mine, I burned it out. So I would say that in an immersion blender. 
Oh, I had immersion blender and a riser. My, yeah. You know, I, have you, a, you have to, I have a really good uh, a good riser. Um, it's about Oxo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, get, they make good stuff. That one. Yeah, okay. they make they make good good stuff. School me real quick. Immersion blender. What's, it's a what's wand. going on? It's a wand. And um, so, so you see, this is how I know you didn't watch like infomercials at night <laughs> because they used to have one back in the day, and they used to have like this um, cylinder, and they would put heavy cream in, and they're like, and you can make whipped cream, and so they would take the wand and stick it in the cream, and they would pull it like up and down, so the air would aerate the the cream, and you would make your own whipped cream. That, but you know, thus saving, well, they would say like pennies on the dollar. You can make uh-huh. your own whipped cream at home, but it helps like blending stuff in pots, like soups and yeah. creams, and it just gives like a really beautiful. Instead of you trying to take it out of the pot and putting it in the blender and blending it and and then straining it through, you know, a chinois or a strainer, it's just you just can put the wand. It has like a little blade at the bottom. Long, skinny, and just and they're battery it. operated now. Mm-hmm. And this this came out of the commercial kitchens. Yeah. I mean, it's a relatively new home appliance. I mean, yeah. in the past couple of decades, but in in a real commercial kitchen, they'll be on a giant cord yep. hanging from the wall, uh-huh. and, and you, you pull, pull it that, and you pull yeah. it down, and they'll be, you know these. This is where they're making giant vats pots, of things. That, vats of food. We so used to call like, that a boat motor because yeah, it's, it's like. A It was about the size of, yeah, it was pretty big. I don't want it that big. Like, just. You just want the home version. Like, my forearm. Like, the length of my forearm is enough. So, you know, just. And they're they're readily available. Yeah. KitchenAid makes a pretty decent one. I've, I've burned out quite a few of those. I don't, yeah. I don't think I will be needing an immersion blender anytime yeah. Well, but I need something really old school. What's that mean? I need a deeper cast iron pot. I have to fry so much. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in a, a household with the fear of frying. Mm-hmm. But being married to John Palmer... I mean, I'm just frying everything all the time. I mean, the man wants you got brim, he wants catfish, he wants hush puppies. You have to fry, fry your bill, yeah. your chicken, chicken parmesan, parmesan. Yeah. and and so I, you know, I have a whole set of lodge cast iron skillets I love that were, lodge. yeah, mm-hmm. and then I have another that were my grandmother's, but mm. you know, they're two or three or three inches deep, and it's much. Frying as I do, I, I need more of the Dutch something. oven yeah. size. But you want it in the skillet. You want like the depth of the Dutch oven, but the like a the, skillet, a skillet with a hand. Yeah, I mean they have them. They but do. I, okay. I mean Lodge Lodge has them, but okay. I've been to hardware stores. I've yeah, been, yeah, I've been to um, the W Word. Um, yeah, and, the big and, box store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're yeah. around. I've just been too lazy to really. Okay, because I, I just feel like if I get it online, it's gonna the weight of the thing. It'll, but yeah. that's what I, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, Santa Claus. I do know, you hear right? this? Well, yeah. Santa. See, we putting it out right, early we now. We putting yeah. it out early, and I found plenty <laughs> of them, but they're small. Like they're yeah. They're, I mean, I want something like the size of a ten or twelve inch mm-hmm. skillet. Because I have a Dutch oven, and I and it's small. It's I mean, it's deep, but it's it's not the size of a, a cast iron skillet. So I don't use it as much. I think for the opposite reason, because I need the width and not the depth. Yeah. Like the depth is perfect, but it's just yeah. like oh, I'm fine. I need something that's gonna be a little a little wider. Yeah. At that depth. 
Yeah, I'd love love to hear from other people, mm-hmm. other listeners, what they used to mm-hmm. yeah used to fry on stovetop, not outside. Oh no. I'm bad outside. That's, that's not a good thing. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of outside cooking, I know you guys know that we have a special guest um, joining us on the line, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. I know all of us have our Ed Mitchell's barbecue books um, at the ready, and I wonder. I ask, um, have you? I, I see it, Enrique. <laughs> have you guys paid attention to the playlist in the back of yes, the book? Yes, indeed. That is so. That is so awesome. Um, I, I we're going to talk about the. Co- community aspect of uh, mm-hmm. of cooking barbecue and music just goes along with that so Absolutely. as we as we go out and take a break and get ready to bring in Ed Mitchell um, to talk about the book Ed uh, I mean I'm sorry Ryan, Ryan Mitchell yeah. the son of uh, Pitmaster Ed Mitchell mm-hmm. to talk about the new book Ed Mitchell's Barbecue we're going to go out with a little Count Basie mm. this is Blues for Barbecue which is on that playlist available on Spotify Apple Music and uh, man we're getting ready for a great conversation even with this book process, like I was overwhelmed with the idea that the book has moved expeditiously as mm-hmm. I said, through radio. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. social media, not how many posts we have, through radio. And I'm like, who the hell is listening to radio now? <laughs> I, I never would have thought that that was, I had to convince, like I'm surrounded by all of these, you know, all of these freaking uh, analytic smart dudes on our yeah. on our uh, board members for my products and stuff, and they're, you know, they're so in touch with any and every every algorithm known to man. I'm like, dog, <laughs> we got $10,000 in sales from the NPR radio yeah, interview, mm-hmm. and these Facebook ads did nothing, you know, uh, <laughs> these Twitter stuff did nothing, yeah, like yeah. this is where our money needs to be going to support more radio and and you're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. And that was the voice of our special guest this morning as he paid a recent visit to Mississippi um, during the Mississippi Book Festival. Spoke on a panel moderated by our very own Enrico Williams. And I love that clip so much because he was talking about the power of radio. Mm-hmm. And Carol, I'm going to give you the honor of introducing our guest this morning. Um, Mr. Ryan Mitchell, go ahead. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Good morning. Good people. How are you? We are, we are doing just fine. It is such a great great honor honor to have have you on our show. Uh, Java loves that radio clip, but let Mm -hmm. me introduce Ryan Mitchell, who is the son of Ed Mitchell. Ed and Ryan are pit masters in Wilson, North Carolina. And have made, you know, uh, Ed is really the go-to guy for any kind of article on barbecue, any kind of television show. You know, he is he is the guy that uh, everybody follows for whole hog barbecue. And I had the pleasure of meeting Ed on his first trip to Mississippi with the Southern Foodways Alliance in. I guess it was 2002, and he cooked on a rainy night in Oxford, and the rest is history. A few days later, he's in the New York Times, and um, yeah, it's been an exciting ride, and and son Ryan came to, to join him, and Ryan, you, you are our celebrity for the Mississippi Book Festival. Enrique and I 
we're pretty excited <laughs> to have you know to have you here. You've gone from uh, an analyst in New York at Credit Suisse to uh, yeah. a pitmaster in your home of Wilson, North Carolina. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's an honor. It's an honor. You know, that clip is, uh, listen, I had no idea who was in the audience. <laughs> I didn't know that you were there. I, I didn't know uh, I was actually talking to real, true radio, uh, you know, aficionados. I was just trying to tell the crowd, you know, a humbling moment that we've, that we've had throughout this book process. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm glad it. I'm glad it touched. It touched. It touched base with. Yeah, everybody. it really did touch base, and I kind of had <laughs> in a little breaking the fourth wall. I had to edit it down because there were so many um, uh, MPB listeners in the audience, mm. and so much uh, laughter and like, "Hey, I listen to radio <laughs> in the crowd." I had to, I had to cut the laughter down just a little bit for that clip, but yeah, it was it was a perfect and spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oftentimes people forget about this medium we like to call radio mm-hmm. that we hold so near and dear. Yeah. Now, Enrico, what yeah. was your experience like with uh, with Ryan back at the at the book festival? So back at the, so hey Ryan, how are you? I'm glad to hey, be talking hey. to you again. Yes, ma'am. Oh man, okay, all right, I'm, I'm done with that. Okay, so um, how was it with the book festival for me? Was um, along with uh, Ryan. And um, also Erica Council and Jocelyn Delk Adams. These are people that I have followed forever in in their respective culinary journey. And I was always just like really inspired and and fascinated by what they were doing. So the opportunity came for me to moderate a panel. And I was just like, just don't suck. Like, that's what I just kept telling myself. Like, I kept wiping my hands on my jeans. Like, don't suck, don't suck, don't suck. Because it was really important to me to not only um, give you all each your flowers, but to also honor the work being the books that you had and then just the words that you were speaking and then just the work that you do. And I just wanted to make sure that you understood, each of you understood, like, the value in that for me as a chef, culinary and entrepreneur, Southern rural black woman, et cetera, et cetera, um, what that work meant for me. So it was really fun. I actually met Ryan like seven minutes before the panel came on. And when I met him and uh, Jocelyn, it was just this immediate, oh, hey. Like, it was just like that. And it's like, oh, okay. This is- like family, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, okay. It's, it's going to be cool. And it was. And and it was just, it's an experience that, um, that I needed. And I was just really honored to be a part of. And, um, and it just it has just reinvigorated me in a way to continue to do this work that we do and be surrounded like with people like yourselves that are doing this work. So I'm just glad to be a part of that. For me, it was an opportunity to see four African-American chefs on one stage. And that doesn't happen much mm-hmm. you know in in our world it would have been a totally different experience if had if it had been a different group mm-hmm. with one african american mm-hmm. chef or two because y'all were able really to to speak some truths and uh you all had a, a lot of commonality mm-hmm. in your stories of origin and it was it was very humbling, and I 
I just hope that that the organizers of the book festival do something like this again. Java, how did you, how'd you feel? You see what I'm talking about? Yeah, it felt it felt really good. And I think the word that we're um, skirting around is intention. It mm-hmm. was very intentional mm-hmm. that that panel that was at the Mississippi Book Festival happened. And, you know, even the topics that were brought up and um, it, I mean, I'm I'm gonna do this so many times, but Ryan, uh, <laughs> if we could jump into hey, so, listen, my, my middle name is Edward, so uh, <laughs> oh, okay. you know, it don't even matter. Talking to me, you like you talking say, to I'm used to it. You you know you know how the old how, how the old folks call you. Know, you, you, you know, know who I'm talking about. about. You know who I'm talking about. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but if we could jump in the book, Ed Mitchell's uh, Barbecue, mm-hmm. you tell a great story. It's a beautiful story. A great story about mm-hmm. intention. With um um when it come when it came to Anthony Bourdain, which was kind of a, a pivoting yeah. point um in in your you know in the Mitchell's barbecue journey. So if you could rehash this story, which Absolutely. is told told great in the book, and just speak about that intention that um that he brought that intentional spotlight that he brought to you guys. Absolutely, man. I mean that was um. You know, for me, it was a pivotal moment in my career, you know, um, and, and our family as well. I mean, we were, you got to understand, this is kind of, you know, er, early 2000s, 2001, two, and we don't really understand um, the, the I, you know, the, the infatuation that is occurring underground with Southern food culture as it mm-hmm. relates to the New York media and the camera. Mm-hmm. So food, food network is also in its inkling stage, you know, before it turns into a billion dollar business and, you know, content is, uh, being thought about in ways that we didn't, un- we didn't know as it relates to cooking barbecue and filming, you know, food and, you know, just the idea that food is on TV and it's going to be filling the airways with all of these, you know, intentional Southern, you know, stories about our craft. So when Food Network calls, uh, we, you know, we we don't actually know who Antonio Bardain is, right? <laughs> so I am. So this is early in his career. And, you know, what gets lost in context, man, is that as you can imagine, man, we're, you know, we're a, a, a Black-owned small business and we're fighting every day for profitability. We're trying to make payroll. We're trying to mm-hmm. cook, clean, pay staff, make money. We're trying to pay bills and build a way. You know, our business is a means of survival. It wasn't like some, you know, stage at that point for all of these, you know, extremely you know, uh, uh, happy moments, you know? So when, when the cameras come around, we're, we're scrambling for work, you know, cause we're trying to figure out, you know, how we going to get everybody, you know, get this work mm-hmm. done. So I get the emails from, from food network and Antonio Bardain. I initially kind of just blew him off a little bit. Cause I'm like, man, this is going to be a crazy work week for catering. Like we're already stressed out. So like, I don't know this guy, who is this guy? Right. <laughs> so finally, uh, long story short, we agreed to uh, let let the film crew come down, and you know, after years of uh, after two years of doing the Big Apple Block Party, you know, we had made some good connections. So um, his intent, you know, his story when he walked in the building, you know, he immediately, you know, came to my father and came to myself. He said, "Hey, you know, I want you to know, I chose you because." Um, 
the 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 name on the building is actually the same black man that's in the pits in the mm. kitchen. He said, and I couldn't find that. Mm. So in other words, I wanted my story and I wanted this film crew to be understanding, you know, if we're going to do barbecue, we want to find the guys who own the businesses and also are doing the cooking and not kind of like the other way around. He mm-hmm. said, I couldn't find that because, you know, as you know, kitchens around America are filled with, you know, African-American talent, but they have no ownership. Mm-hmm. So me hearing that as a young man, um, I kind of put the brakes on like, whoa, OK, you know, this is the first time someone of, of this, you know, level of stature has kind of acknowledged that we might be doing something special here. And, um, you know, it was, it was a pivotal moment. Those behind the scenes, off camera moments with him, you know, just making me understand um, the connectivity between, you know, my um you know, what I had grew up on and what I was experiencing with my family, you know, was really, you know, something to be valued because it was the first time I've ever had, uh, you know, my relationship with food and beverage, you know, throughout throughout my career and through my family's career has always been about work. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, coming from positions of servitude. And so he gave me an opportunity to change my perspective because Mm -hmm. he could have he's been all over the world Mm -hmm. and to tell me and to tell us that our craft uh, was going to be a part of a change and our story was going to be a part of a, you know, an American dream, so to say, was, um, you know, was eye opening for me. Mm. Powerful. Oh, I mean, I just got caught up in the wholeness of that because I mean, everything that you said, like I'm, I'm like, you know, doing the, in church agreement mm-hmm. like I'm just it mm-hmm. just it's coming out <laughs> yeah. subconsciously like I'm not trying to do that on purpose but it's just like I can I, I can identify myself and several things yeah. that you said just even in just trying to sustain a business and what your right. intentions are with the business See, that's and, what get lost that's what yeah. got lost in context, right? Because I tell people, I said, look, you know, this little prodigal son story has got a little bit out of control, people. Let's reel this in a little mm-hmm. bit. and tell. So let me tell people what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, because people don't understand they, the no. underbelly right. of black business, right? Yeah. Then we facing foreclosures and tax problems and payroll and everything that we're doing uh, you know, the Antonio Bardanes of the world, the John T. Edges of the world, the foodies are are circling the wagons because mm-hmm. they are, in, you know, they, they see value in the craft and they see value in uh, the authenticity yep. of, of, of the American cuisine that we're yep. trying to yep. uh, pr- preserve, right? Yeah. And the thing but about Anthony, working, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't understand that. You don't. And then the thing about it, too, is just like, you know, um, Anthony Bourdain just had this ability to understand that and still yes. wanted to be very intentional about making sure that all aspects of the culinary or the food experience is told not the parts that are only palatable for TV or that, you know, will make some people comfortable because a lot of times people don't care about origin stories. They just want to know if you got these smoked rib tips and if you have the whatever. And, you know, but, you know, I think, you know, he understood that all of the story of that is cooked Mm -hmm. into the food. Like, so when you eat the food and you experience the food, like you understand that this is my livelihood. This is not just something that I love to do. Like, I have to do this 
in order Absolutely. to sustain and to survive. And I just and that was just something for me as a as a foodie, as a chef, as a culinary student, as I still see myself whenever people refer to Anthony Bourdain because that was just like um that was just Bible. God forgive, forgive me for that, but he just, just a lot of the things that he said and the way that he had this approach with people and food and understanding it in a way that was very sensitive, but it was just, he, he didn't come in to take over. He came in to understand. He came in to immerse himself in that, and he was very humble about it. So I think that that is the thing about the story and then just you being transparent about where y'all were in the mm-hmm. aspect of that because a lot of times people— they get confused. If I see it on television, it's glossy. It's perfect. Right. You know what I mean? And it's not. A.K.A. they rich. Yeah, A.K.A. they're rich. Right. And then you know what? And even in your sharing of that, like I don't hear um, victim. I don't hear, oh, I want y'all to feel bad for us. It's just it's real. It's truth. That's and right. it's just like I appreciate that. And I think people, that's why that was what the love was for Anthony Bourdain, but also what he was looking for when he came to meet y'all was like, look, we need to make sure that these things are happening for us to tell the story of this family in the way that it needs to be told. Ron, I want to go back to your origin story and hear you talk um, about your your grandfather. I I think, uh, you know, for, for me, the fact that in his life, I mean, before he died, he wanted to own a business. Yeah, t- tell us about him. Tell us, tell us where you came from. Yeah, my my grandfather, man, he's he's um, you know, he's he's the hero of of all of this, along with my grandmother. You know, their their marriage and their and their pursuit of entrepreneurship as as husband and wife is kind of how we even got where we are. But my grandfather. You know, he worked as a sharecropper, uh, you know, for most of his years. And then he was able to get a state job uh, with the ABC department. And that's kind of where he retired from. Um, Well, that's where he retired from after 20 years of working with the state and still sharecropping. So he took his retirement income and his retirement check and, you know, immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, like, listen, I'm not retired. I'm going to take this money and now I'm going to start you know, or, or we're going to try to start a business or we're going to buy something that we can pass on to our children. Because in his mind, you know, we were going to have the same plight as he did because he did. He, he saw the South in a way that was not going to be changing anytime soon. And so he didn't want his legacy to kind of be just, um, you know, retired and, and just kind of faded into the into the to the background. So we purchased Mitchell's supermarket in uh, 1982 uh, with his retirement. In- this is back in the day when you could have, you know, uh, retirement <laughs> income actually could buy stuff. You know? <laughs> those, old, yeah. those old folks, man, they would have two or three pieces of property uh-huh. off of like one check, yep. you know, you didn't yep. even know, you know, but, but they don't have the voices in social media like today. So you don't right. even know that. People don't even understand that grandma and granddaddy and them own stuff, yep. you know, and, and unless we tell the story because mm-hmm. nobody talks about that. Right. But he purchased it and, um, you know, he wanted to give his 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 three sons and his grandson, you know, uh, at the time, an opportunity, you know, to just see him 
and my grandmother working for themselves so they can have some a piece of inspiration. So, um, you know, he founded Mitchell Supermarket and we operated in that way un- until he passed. And then um, and then so after he passed, you know, we kind of made our way into trying to figure out, OK, how we're going to convert this supermarket into into something, because along with his passing, you know, was, um, you know, his, his income, his retirement income, mm-hmm. you know, his handshake, mm-hmm. you know, uh, his, his reputation of being able to walk into a bank and people not ask him no questions because mm-hmm. he was a man of word and he was able to, you know, handle business in a way that, you know, only a man of his stature could. And so we hadn't gotten there yet as, as a family, you know, like my dad, my uncles, and of course I was a little kid, you know, so we hadn't gotten, you know, that type of uh, reputation yet. So his passing was, you know, a, a really, a really hard moment for us as it relate to, you know, how the community was going to be viewing us. So we had to figure out something uh, real quick. And so that's, uh, but his life lessons for me, you know, I mean, I, I used to, I used to take the uh, old Pepsi Cola crates and uh, uh, from the stock room, I used to turn them upside down and I used to stand on those. It used to make me run the cash register, you know, just, <laughs> just, just counting the money. I tell people all the time, you know, like me cooking in the, the, the cooking and the barbecue side is really not something that my grandma, my grandparents didn't want, you know, they wanted me counting the money. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, but I got it. Well, that you know, that kind of brings up an, another point. Uh, you and your father do not fit the stereotypes that many people have about barbecue or black barbecue pitmasters. I mean, your father has a degree in sociology and public administration, and uh, you have a, a college degree and and you know worked worked in New York, so. Uh, yeah, speak speak to the stereotype and uh, how that how that's played out in the barbecue world. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, that's that's the irony of how God works. You know, sometimes your passion is different than what your actual mm-hmm. uh, your, your your other gifts are. You know what I mean? So, you know, being blessed enough to have an education, first of all. You know, our schooling and our education was was something that we had to do because that was the only way we were going to be able to get out of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of the of the conditions that we we're in. So at the time, you know, especially for me, you know, even though we own this business and we're doing these things, you know, black entrepreneurship is still very, very difficult. So even for mm-hmm. me as a high school young man, you know, what people don't understand is that. My grandparents wanted to be entrepreneurs because they were they didn't care if they made two dollars. You know, they just wanted to be able to go to work and not endure um, the verbal and emotional mm-hmm. abuse they had, they had gone through for their entire lives. And they wanted to pass that to their to their children. Right. So my parents were the same way. But when it gets to me and my generation, you know, you know, things are a little better, but like I need to figure out how to make some money, you mm-hmm. know, so like, mm-hmm. so I got, you know, I want to <laughs> cash a few checks, you know, so what's instilled in me is and my, not just me, but all of my neighborhood and all my, you know, I represent my generation of Southern black kids who are taught, Hey, if you want to, you know, make a way for yourself, you have to get educated and get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so, 
even though we own the business, that was still my mindset because I didn't see, you know, opportunity past, you know, flipping hogs and frying chicken at that point, mm-hmm. you know. And so that wasn't something that I saw that was going to be financially sustainable mm-hmm. for me and the kind of life that I wanted, you know. But hospitality and people, the passion of people, is it, it just runs in our blood and mm-hmm. it's in our veins. So when I got off work and I got off to corporate America um, and my dad was still, you know, working the business. My two uncles, my grandmother, you know, uh, they were fighting their way to still be known. And we're getting this reputation, you know, uh, of, a, of a black culinary business. You know, uh, the time came, you know, to where, you know, I had to kind of figure out, you know, what I was going to do with the rest of my life, because, mm-hmm. you know, even though you get educated and you get these jobs, uh, what what still happens is they can be taken away from you in a moment, you know, just like entrepreneurship almost. So it was like, man, I've worked my entire life to get educated, been in this career for 10 years. And now all of a sudden uh, a CEO can walk in and say, hey, we're going to ship this department to Singapore. Uh, you know, good luck. And so now my career is just snatched from me without me doing anything wrong with 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 me doing any everything that I thought was the right thing to do, which, you know. And so that's like a ground shaking. That was a ground shaking moment for me to be kind of laid off at the prime of my, uh, you know, uh, corporate career, because it was like, man, if it's this easy to get rid of me. I need. I might as well be home fighting with my yep. dad and building a brand, yep. building a business, doing something you're you know, mm-hmm. doing something that I love and something that I can kind of be in the control of, you know, uh, of my own destiny. Now, just to reset the conversation, we're speaking with Ryan Edward Mitchell, <laughs> uh, son <laughs> of uh, pitmaster Ed Mitchell, and the mm-hmm. brand new book Ed Mitchell's Barbecue is out. And uh, this conversation is so good. Uh, I was going to take a break, but we're not going to do that. And if you can believe it, ladies, we have been talking with Ryan for almost about 20 minutes, and we have not said anything about whole hog. We have not said anything about a sauce. We have not said anything about about the coals. We have yeah, it's so much to talk about. Okay, Ryan, I'm throwing it to you. We want to talk. (laughs) Eastern North Carolina is known. It is a whole hog. That is where the home of whole hog, whole hog, whole hog barbecue. (laughs) So, uh, talk about the whole hog. Whole hog barbecue is synonymous with Eastern North Carolina, North mm-hmm. Carolina in general. You know, like the hog, the pig is our, you know, that's our that's our chief uh, of source of protein here in farming and farmland. And so, um, you know, the whole, you know, the origin of barbecue in the Carolinas and in the South. I mean, it, it starts with almost everything. You know, in the in the very beginning, you know, everything was barbecued. You know, but from beef, chicken, poultry, but the whole hog has outlasted every other animal uh, to be roasted in its entirety, you know, um, and so it's it's kept the reputation, whole hog barbecue has kept the reputation because uh, the pig is one of the few animals that is, you know, edible from what we say, rooter to the tooth, mm-hmm. you know, what you cook it right, you know, uh, ham, shoulders, tenderloins, ribs, everything in between, you know, and then the snoot. people take pig snoot, literally, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a source of, agri- you know, a source of farming and 
and and agriculture that is unique to North Carolina because um you know the, it, it feeds you know so many people and it's so delicious. It is so delicious. Yeah, do it the right way. So whole hog barbecue in North Carolina is is uh you know synonymous. So if somebody wanted to, I don't know if this is if somebody wanted to jump into whole hog cooking, is this is this like, hey, let me just run down to the butcher yeah. shop and get a get me get myself a whole hog? And, I'm, and, I am probably not going to eat any of that if they just decide to jump into doing a whole hog because it, it's it's so it's it's such a it's an ritual. Art. Yeah, it's a. So right, so right, no, no, I'm, I'm about to I'm about to ask Ryan okay. about his first whole hog experience because we all have to start somewhere. Yes. So Ryan, yeah. if you, if you could talk about talk about your first um, whole hog experience, I guess where your your father and your your uncles and everybody took the reins off of you. Say so mm. you 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 got it, Ryan. Man, this was I was um, man, I was like I was 15, you know, six, uh, eighth grade going into the ninth grade before I was, you know, really allowed to even think about doing one, you know, by myself or, or, or without, you know, maximum supervision because, you know, our smokehouse is a, was a old garage that was converted, you know, that had been burned down a couple of times. So the rookie can't be in there, you know, uh, literally it was almost literally life, you know, uh, a situation of, I go say life and death, but hey, one mistake and the whole business gets shut down. You know, by you know somebody who don't know what they're doing because our you know our, our smokehouse was uh, was that old. So um, I put my first pig on, man. Uh, some, the summer going into my ninth grade year mm. uh, of high school, uh, and so it was it was it was tough. I remember the the thing I remember the most is walking into the pit and. Uh, and putting on like these big giant pairs of goggles, right? I, I had some goggles that uh that uh they keep the smoke out of my eyes, right? Because I wasn't really uh you know accustomed to my eyes. But, but the old the old guy, the old pit guys in there said, "Boy, your you, your face ain't ready, yet. Mm-hmm. you know. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> you ain't got enough. Uh, you ain't got enough age in your face to take this kind of smoke and not and not." you know tap out boy you know when you can do that then you know you're a pit master right so i'm standing over there you know getting my coals right and lighting the fire and that's probably the most intense part you know getting the fire ready Mm -hmm. because you know you just you know trying to figure out what the heck you're doing and we have a unique process called banking which is you know allows the whole hog to kind of cook overnight and get all done at the same time but it's the process by which you don't put the coals you have to align the coals with the healthier uh, meteor parts of mm-hmm. the animals. So middle of the pit is clear, and you know you're basically building a square around the hams and the shoulders, um, and then you kind of, you know, position the hog on the grate so that it cooks without burning up the middle. And so, um, you know, I put him on, and uh, I, I, I remember they put we 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 did it during the daytime so that we could still monitor so i could still watch it you know throughout the day so i put it on at like nine o'clock in the morning and we used it for the evening uh shift of of uh of uh uh, of the restaurant so i was able to kind of babysit a little bit so i got comfortable with it from nine to like nine in the morning to like four in the afternoon mm. and ryan um, that's something to, um that's something to note because a lot of times the whole hog is a is like an overnight thing mm-hmm. where um yeah. um gen- generally the guys you know kind of stay up and 
kind of commune a little a little bit. Speak to the community aspect of uh mm-hmm. of, of of whole hog barbecue, and then whole we're gonna hog. talk about these vinegar sauces. The whole hog, you know, the, the the craft of it in its origin for the old guys that knew what they were doing. You know, uh, the unique part about it, man, you know, is that uh, pits were dug in the ground mm-hmm. and, and and whole hogs were able to be cooked, honestly, in the ground. It really as a form of, of um, it was an ingenuity uh, piece that we learned how to cook food in the ground on our on our escape routes from via via Underground Railroad and via us, you know, traveling from from south to north, you know, during those times when we were, you know, escaping slavery. So cooking in the ground was a way to mask the smoke um, and still get food done and still have something to eat along the journey. So, uh, you know, for the for for once it becomes, you know, a restaurant cuisine, you know, it's still a a, a point of communion and a point mm-hmm. of therapy. And mm-hmm. The old guys would, you know, be cooking out night out back, really, just so they could be away from, you know, what my dad and my granddad say, just get away from the women folk for a little while and, <laughs> and pretend that they had this twelve hours, you know, that they needed to be out there cooking with and watching stuff. But they was out there drinking moonshine and, and line. Just, yeah, lying. You know, telling all kind of lies, drinking moonshine, and, and getting a reason to stay out all night. So, <laughs> Gotta watch that hog, uh, dear. Gotta watch that hog, dear. You know, it can burn up at any time now. You just never know. Mm-hmm. So they out there in the woods and out there, you know, you know, anywhere, you know, just almost just having, you know, uh, you know, almost a form of therapy and male time, male bonding, and, and just kind of. You know, that was kind of a thing that the elders did with the younger generation, man. So I, I appreciate it from that aspect. Yeah, and I brought that up because uh, two of my favorite sections are um, in the back of the book, um, and it starts with libations, and then it goes into this uh, wonderful playlist, which really highlights the community aspect mm-hmm. of of barbecue. Uh, man, we're running out of time, Ryan. I really wish we had like two or three hours mm-hmm. to uh, to talk with you. This has been so so deep and vast and wide. Uh, uh, before we get out of here, let people know where they can get because you have your own line of barbecue sauce, Mitchell's barbecue mm-hmm. sauces. Um, and Ed Mitchell's barbecue the book. Ed Mitchell's barbecue sauces. We are uh, we have seven barbecue sauces out right now in stores. True May Foods is the label. Uh, you can go to truemayfoods.com. You can go to the pitmaster at mitchell.com. Uh, if you have uh, a local Walmart, uh, Sprouts, Whole Foods, uh, Harris Teeter, or you could just go to our website, man, and type in your, uh, your zip code and you can find a store nearest you. But Ed Mitchell's Barbecue is on shelves now. Check us out in all stores around the country, all bookstores around the country, and online at HarperCollins and Barnes & Nobles. Man, Ryan, this has been so amazing. I have been low-key uh, testifying back here behind the glass. I did it quietly so you couldn't see. <laughs> um, but Carol, Enrica, thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, yeah. Um, man, Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting <laughs> Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Um, our call screener today was Abram Nanny for host Carol Palmer. Special guest today, she's more than a special guest, uh, uh, Enrico Williams and Ryan Mitchell. I'm Java Chapman. Stay tuned for Now You Talk with Marsha Ramsey, Southern Remedy at 11, and join us for more Deep South Dining next Monday right here on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.